Um, two things I would add to that, though, because th this kind of reoriented itself to uh, jobs like in a place, working at a place. Um, just remember, part of the emphasis of the last two weeks is that when we talk about vocation last week, it was calling. So wherever God calls us into um, we, is the word vocation. We've, we've um, stolen the word away and given it the name work instead. But um, when we talk about work here, especially tonight, I'll probably use the word work a bit just because it fits with a little bit what we're doing. We're talking about all the spheres by which God calls us to. So it's not just in the job that you're punching a clock in, but wherever God has placed you, and your callings, and that's whether it's home taking care of our kids or it's volunteering, maybe you're retired and you're just helping do things with the neighbors. All those places are places of work and vocation. They're all callings. And so that this applies to all those things. The other thing I would add to this is, um, they didn't quite say it, but the, the, a little bit of the implication that was that at work you have an opportunity to share your faith, and the sharing of the faith becomes worship. And that's great when we get to do that, and we should always be looking for those opportunities. Work itself, our callings, is worship. So going and doing your best at your job, if, you never, if you're stuck in a lab and you don't talk to anybody for the whole, tw you know, whatever hours you're in there all day, doing your job well is worship. And so it's, um, when we get those opportunities to share and demonstrate and actually speak words of the gospel, it's wonderful that we can step into that. But um, we looked at this a number of years ago, and we'll review it again tonight. But all of our, um, when we go out and, and um reflect the image of God in our creating and in our work and um, all the things that we do with our hands and our mouths and our bodies, those are all forms of work. That's all worship as far as God's, it's all offered up to him. And so take it as an all-encompassing. I will use the word work a little bit more tonight just because I just, I'm not going to say it, so I'm just telling you, but when I say that word, think big picture about it um, as we walk through that tonight. So one of the questions, probably you were asked that um, Several times I was asked it, and I corrected myself a few times, but some of you would say, we'll say to you, how was your week, right? So Sunday, we think of closing our week out. Actually, it should be a start of our week, but our Saturday evening, Saturday's our Sabbath start. Um, but some of you will say, how was your week, right? And how you answer that, you might answer like me. I'll, I think I said it like three times a night, good or fine, um, which for me that usually means, by the way, for one thing, I, that kills the conversation because I haven't added anything to the question. I just basically, if you're going to want to know anything, you're going to have to dig. So, and that's, that's not fair. Um, and second of all, it's, it's, it's usually not even true. It's just a generic answer. So if it was a lousy week, I'm not going to say it. If it was a great week, well, I don't ever say things are great. So it was okay. It was good. Um, but when we ask that question, if we were honest, the way we usually answer that question, it very much depends on how the week went. Meaning, if the week was primarily full of trouble, like over 50%, maybe, maybe if it's over 10%, it depends on what kind of person you are. If it's over 1%, it was a bad week. You know, it's 1% of trouble, 99% good, it was a bad week. But for most of us, if it's, you know, if most of it felt like a burden, or there was something that came in your week and it was just difficult, and even if it was just one thing, but it colored the whole week, or one conversation with somebody that just was so painful and just it kind of poisoned the rest of your week, or a, a project that didn't good, or your kids just didn't respond well all week that week. Um, how those things usually affect how we answer the question, how was your week? So if there's a lot of that, or whatever everybody is, your week, well, it wasn't a good week. This, we, that was a hard week. This is a week I don't want to do again. And we, behind that, we're saying it wasn't a good week in many ways. Um, 
if the most of the week was actually pretty fulfilling, we got some stuff done and we, we weren't criticized too much and we got enough sleep and it's like I had a good week. Um, and that's usually how we answer. It's dependent much on those outward things. Um, your answer likely depends on the amount of difficulty. So if the week was free of stress and problems, we probably had a good week. If it had toil, sweat, whether it's a literal sweat or just a metaphorical sweat, um, or weeds, discouragement, disappointment, um, then we probably call the week not so great of a week and hoping for a better one. Although our weeks can be challenging, and they usually are, by the way, difficult, draining, even painful, um, I would propose tonight that they can all be, well, everyone needs the word good weeks. They can all be good weeks um, if we learn to discover God who is hidden in them because he hides himself sometimes in our weeks and he's there for us to find. We've emphasized in this series, and, and tonight's the end of this, as we, we will be uh, starting the book of Matthew next week, um, but we've emphasized a couple things. First of all, all that, we done, all that we do, if it can be done to the glory of God, um, is vocation or calling. Anything we do, all that we do, if it can be done for the glory of God, in other words, it's not sin, okay, um, is vocation and calling. God looks at it and goes, this, this is what I have for you, and we can call it such. Second of all, every ordinary moment, which as we said is probably 90% of our lives or more, every ordinary moment is holy and significant and it's marked by grace, glory, and the presence of God. 90%, all these ordinary, um, sometimes mundane, um, but even sometimes ordinary isn't mundane, but it's just ordinary. It's the stuff you do every day. Um, All of it is holy, significant, marked by grace, marked by glory, and infused with the presence of God. Those are the two things from the last couple weeks. Um, For many of us, and I've had a number of discussions, I know some of you have, there's something about this that has rung true um, in this little thing. The fact that um, there's been something over the last couple weeks that a number of people have said, it just rings true. And part of that is, I think it's hopeful. It's like, I mean, there's actually, in the course of my whole week, all this stuff, not just these certain moments that are great, but in all of it, there's something there that we're missing. And there's a sense of hopefulness about that, a sense of promise in that that I think has caught our attention a little bit. Um, there's, there's something about that truth that in 90% of my life, God's beckoning us in the midst of that to something really good that we might have missed. But, um, but, there's always the word in there, um, just a little bit into our week, and we discover it doesn't seem that way. I don't know if that's true for you. It's like, oh, yes, I'd love it, this, this sense of holiness and all the moments that God's infused in it and is hidden in it. And there, everything I do is, is filled with his glory. So just step into it and see him there. And it sounds promising and it sounds inviting, but often our weeks just don't feel that way. Um, the reality is, is we step into the week, and there are all sorts of things that seem quite different than that, um, whether it's just getting up in the morning and getting down to work or taking care of the, the basic tasks, we get buried in them, as we say, like a wave coming over us pretty quick. And this great promise of something better seems to elude us. It seems like a great idea and a great promise, um, but it just doesn't happen. So I want to kind of address that as we close, um, close this week. And the answer is, so why is that? What, what is going on when we step into our day and... It just, it seems like ordinary moments are just not, a, they're not, we just want to get past them. 
um, and we start looking for that one big thing that will make us feel good about our week. So why is that? And second of all, what we've been talking about, is it really good news? Because if it's, if it's just good news but it doesn't happen, it's not good news. So is it really good news? And then third of all, um, what, um, how can, what, what has God put in place for us to do so we can actually see it happen in our life? We can actually experience this promise of something better in our days. And so we will do that tonight. Um, up on the screen, there's a, there's a book that you could read. Um, actually, Kirsten sent out a couple suggestions to the Women's Bible Study Group. There's a number of really great books on work, vocation, but even the bigger picture of God's, God's work in us in all the places we find ourselves. This book was written about a year ago, Tim Keller, Every Good Endeavor, um, Connecting Your Work to God's Work, and it, it, it covers the, the encompassing areas that we'd all find ourselves, all different spheres of life that we find ourselves. So if you're looking for something to read, thinking, I just want to dig into this a little bit more, um, he's a great writer. Um, you'd enjoy it, pick up that book. It's, it's, it's worth picking up. So why the disconnect between this great promise of something better in our moments and the reality of our actual days that are just sometimes we're dragging through them and it doesn't seem that way. Well, the first thing is, and this is a review from where we've been a long time ago, but the, the bad news is work is damaged. Um, uh, work is damaged, and that's why we experience something very, very different. Genesis 1 and through 3, we know the story. Um, God put Adam and Eve in the garden. God worked. He created, did all these things. He creates Adam and Eve. He gives them work to do, uh, purpose, relationship. Um, they're supposed to um, till and cultivate the garden, this, this work to cause it to spread. Um, it's all good, and God is in every one of those moments, and there's this, this great thing going on, but we all know what happens. They sin, and immediately when, when sin enters in, um, it's, everything gets damaged. So their relationship with themselves, their own hearts, their relationships with each other, relationships with God gets damaged. And then God, basically, he sends them out of the garden, and he tells them a whole lot of things happen because of this. And he lays out what happens, and there's, there's, he talks about the curse that falls upon mankind um, in sin. And one of those areas he addresses is work. He says the, the, the work you go out to do has now been tainted and touched by sin. So he talks about the fact that you're going to have thorns and thistles. You're not just going to have stuff growing like crazy. You're going to have to fight against those things. You're, you're going to work by the sweat of your brow, which doesn't mean that sweat is a bad thing, but the kind of sweat where you're sweating um, and working and the productivity is small. You're just getting a, a, a small measure of what they would have gotten before. And we discover here that work is touched by sin. Um, as I said, God works and creates and we are called into that work. Um, we're to glorify God in all of our moments as we engage in life. Um, and, but here it gets touched and tainted by sin. By the way, work is not the curse. So work existed before. It's just that our work is now damaged by sin. So it's harder to do. Um, it's, it's met with pain and toil and difficulty and barriers. And still, it reflects in the midst of that the image of God as, as people are image bearers are supposed to work on his behalf. But, by the way, work is not um, the curse, um, but it was damaged by sin. And so we now find ourselves outside the garden, right? I mean, all the places we go, um, if you find the Garden of Eden in a new place, tell me, it'd be great. But no matter where you go, no matter how great your job is, it is not the Garden of Eden. We don't live in there anymore. And so we're outside of that place. And we live among thorns and thistles and labor and toil, still called to the same work still called to reflect God in our work as, as image bearers, but now when we go to do it, it's met with all these different 
difficulties that were put in place because of sin. Work, our ordinary moments were first created to be full of life, fulfillment, and refreshment, but now they get met with pain, relational barriers, toil, frustrations, reduced production, misguided purposes. By that I mean um, when they work, they work because it was out of the pleasure of their heart before God. But now we work for all sorts of other reasons, don't we? For identity, for security, which, uh, by the way, only comes from God, um, to, to make a mark in the world, to, to show ourselves to be something. Um, it may be um, you probably had people you worked with. They worked to control, which isn't what God intended. Um, all these different things. Maybe working to distracting. I don't want to deal with what goes on in my heart. So I pour myself into something else, and so work just becomes something that distracts us from our great need for a Savior. Whatever it could be, work becomes something else. We become workaholics, or we go to the other side and we don't do anything. We become lazy. Um, we look for it as our source of identity, um, or we just devalue it. And we talk about that fact. For many of us, the, the areas that you work in, people don't value them. They, they treat them like they're not nothing. And yet God was was glorified in those things, and now they get devalued in our world. So, yes, he's in the ordinary moments. I get to be a recreator in my world and go out and work, and then we hit all this stuff, right? And it's hard. It's just, it's just playing hard. They, um, we get worn out. We get physically tired. Um, we feel unappreciated. Um, we lose our jobs. We lose our opportunities. We, we're not sure if we're doing what we're supposed to be doing. All these different things out there which is what meets us when we walk out into this day, which is why this great promise seems to get stopped and we struggle with it because we live in a damaged world um, that's damaged our work. So it's no wonder um, that the sanctification of the ordinary eludes us because it's not the garden. So it, it seems to escape our grasp. So is there good news? The second question, is there good news? Or is that just what we're stuck with till we get to heaven? Of course, there's good news, and I think we all know it. In Christ's work, we are all redeemed people. So those of us come to Christ in faith, um, because on behalf of what he did for us, the scriptures tell us that we're redeemed, we're changed, and as we get redeemed and changed, suddenly we're shifted to a different kingdom, so suddenly our ordinary moments and all of our work is all now counted differently. God wants to restore it back to what he had done before. Romans 6, 4 through 7, we talked about this the first week. Um, it says that we've been buried with him, and now we are raised to walk what? Newness of life. That's not just someday, but that's today. We're, we're actually created and molded, and he's changed me in such a way that I'm able to actually walk in newness of life. In the midst of a place that's not the garden, by the way, a place where there's toil and there's pain and there's relationship things, and we fail in our work sometimes, but we're raised to walk new lives in that place, and we've been equipped to do so. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says, Come unto me, everybody who's weary and heavy laden, um, which, is a, a, which is how we feel in our, our labor sometimes. And what does he say? I'm going to give you rest. Basically, he says, I'm going to take that off of you so that you can move freely in the places you, you, you've been called to go. When you're, when you're carrying something, it just you start dragging your feet. And as long as we forget whose we are and whose creatures we are and what kingdom we're a part of, we move into our ordinary moments and we carry this burden and it's just so hard. And he says, I want to take that from you as new creatures so you can move freely into the places which I've called you. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17, anyone who is in Christ is what? A new creation. All things are passed away. Everything becomes new. So, well, my world didn't get new. 
It's still the same. My boss is still the same, which is, by the way, the church, I think. Isn't that how it works here? So, um, you know, all these things are still the same. The need for a paycheck is still the same, and, and, and all the fears, all this have stayed the same. But it says that we are new creatures. We are completely remade people designed to operate in a very different way in this world. The problem is we forget that, and we're not sure what to do with that. We're new creatures. We've been given a new nature, and we actually belong to a new kingdom, which is actually hidden here in this place. The glory and beauty of work gets restored, and the holiness of each moment is restored. That's what happens when we came to Christ. So that's good news. Um, despite this bad news about what's happened, we are new people. And as new people, what I do now ha- is, is completely different because it's coming from a different source, the Holy Spirit at work in my life. So it's totally different than it was before. Life is turned upside down from being marked by sin, which is actually right side up, like it was supposed to be. Um, and our vocations are restored to their true focus and their true meaning. So now, rather than going out where I'm trying to find my identity and what I'm doing, I'm trying just to make, make money so I can find security somewhere when I want to control people or when I'm trying to distract from people or I'm going to work all the time so I feel better about myself. Whatever our own things are, those have all been changed. So we get to, we're, we're freed from having to find our identity in those places because we find it in Christ. We're freed from the, the sin of having to control everybody because we are his people and he, we can trust him to care for things. Um, it's not for escape anymore, self-serving. Rather, our vocations, our work, or ordinary moments are restored because I do it just to honor him. I get to do it as a reflection of God's image in me. Um, it says, I've made you this way, and I've given you gifts and abilities and opportunities and places to serve and people to interact with, and I'm freeing you back up to do that again, not for all these reasons, um, but just because you're my child, you've been made in my image, and this is what we do as believers. By the way, those, those things are slow to change, aren't they? If we find, um, if, if we've worked to escape, um, that just doesn't change the day we become a Christian. The truth is, now we get to work for a different reason. But changing our minds about that takes a while. We still think those old ways, and we'll get to that in a minute. Everything has changed in Christ. I love the story in... Um, Remember Onesimus, Philemon, uh, Paul writes to his, his, his friend Philemon, and um, he had a slave, and the slave had been, it says um, in, in the book of Philemon that he was useless, a useless slave, and we're not going to talk about slavery here, but in that day when they were, when they were held, Paul called it a vocation, Stay, do that, do it well, do it to honor God. And Onesimus had fled, and he had become useless to this, this, guy, this brother, this man who actually became a Christian, and Paul writes to him. In the process, Paul meets this slave, the man comes to Christ, and Paul sends him back to his original vocation, which was the slave of, to go back. And Paul says to him, he says, the one who was formerly useless is now useful to you. And then he tells him to treat him like a brother. Um, it's interesting, his work gets changed because he's changed. What he's going to do in his, his service, even as a slave, was going to be different because he was different. And so the, the, the bad news, the reason we struggle with this is because work has been damaged by the fall. The great news is we are different people. And so what we bring forth, God has equipped us to bring forth something different and to actually see all of our vocations in a way that the other people around us will do not see. We get to see them from God's perspective. 
Through the finished work of Christ, our vocations are now reconnected to our new nature and his kingdom. And as we said in the video, and as we've talked about here many, many times, become acts of worship in all that we do. So, yes, sin damaged all of it, and Christ's work has redeemed it, um, which is a great truth and it's great news. So, why does it still struggle? Why is it still a struggle? Well, Romans 12, 1 and 2 says we're to be transformed by what? The renewing of our mind. Okay, so I'm a changed person, but I still think in the old ways. Um, and the, the, the life of discipleship is, is God transforms and renews our mind. Where I go from thinking my old ways to beginning to think with the eyes and heart and mind of Christ. And that happens little by little over the course of our Christian life as we do certain things that God has laid out for us to begin to change our mind. So hopefully, as, as we proceed along the path of discipleship, um, our minds are transformed. And I actually realize what Christ did in me, and what he's redeemed in my work, and I actually believe it and begin to live out of that place rather than living out of the old way of thinking. So there, our problem when we head out these doors and we hit the week hits us is... All those old ways and patterns just kick into gear. And our, we're thinking, ah, this is, this is worthless work and nobody appreciates it. And, and if this person was just not working here anymore, I'd finally get something done. Life would be more peaceful. And if my kids would just act right, parenting would be much better. And all these, kind of, all these things that we were, we go through all these things in our mind. That's not the Lord speaking. That's our old mind speaking to us. And that has to be changed. That has to be changed, and it's changed through a variety of ways the scriptures lay out for us to have our minds transformed. And I believe it's in the transformation of our minds over time, steadily, day by day by day, that we actually begin to start seeing things in a different way. And our work, our ordinary moments, which he redeemed because he's redeemed us, we actually start realizing that they've been redeemed, and we start seeing them in a different light. We actually start embracing all those moments. The Lord wants to renew our minds so that the truth that work and all of our ordinary moments are redeemed is actually our day-to-day experience, and I believe that that can actually happen. Can we really experience the sanctification in the ordinary day by day? And I'm going to suggest tonight there's lots of different ways, there's different disciplines to do it, but I want to suggest two ways, to, two things to do tonight that God already built into things in order to get us there, to press us forward in those places. And um, Particularly, the second one will be familiar because I talk about it all the time. But I want to—I want to suggest two ways. Our ordinary moments, our work is restored. First of all, while working, it's restored while working. So when we became Christians, God didn't go, "Ah, sin damaged work, so don't work anymore. We're, we're skipping that plan." He didn't. That didn't happen. He He redeemed us, and then He puts us right back in. Sometimes doing exactly the same thing, back into a place that's damaged. So. He sends us back into work because that's reflecting his image. We're called to do that in all of our vocations. And our minds get transformed, I believe, while working. And I just want to share three little things underneath that. First one is a truth. The scriptures tell us that we become participants in the work of God in everything that we do. We are participants with God in everything we do. When I was separated and, and apart from him, it's just me working and all by myself and there's nothing there. When I get joined with him, and become his child, we become participants in the work of God, which makes my little, my little thing huge because I've been joined into the work of God. And all the different things that we here in this room are participating in 
all get blended into this tapestry of God's kingdom work, and we participate um, in his work. And so we are, the scriptures tell us that we're fellow workers, we're co-heirs. Um, as we'll see in Matthew, Jesus was always inviting people into his work, constantly inviting people to participate in his work. And that doesn't mean we have to just do a certain kind of thing. That means in all the places we go, our invitations to step in and participate with him. So the first thing is just know the truth. Review the truth over and over again. You are, when you go out to work or serve or wherever you're doing, you are a participant with God in his kingdom work. And what you're doing is part of that. So Judy, as who's working on heart things, a participant in kingdom-building work of God, um, all these things fall into those categories. When we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, this is by Eugene Peterson, and the Scriptures tell us that we are participants in his work. We find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but rather we see our stories in God's. When we submit our lives to what we read in Scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but rather our stories in God's story. God is the larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. So that's the first truth. He just wants to day by day step into that, going, Lord, let me see that. Let me see the fact that my story is part of your bigger story. And where I'm going to go today is part of that. Let's begin to transform your thinking. Second of all, an encouragement. Our work imitates and reflects his image. Ephesians 5 says, be imitators of God, right? And just to, there's, I just want to encourage you, what you do reflects the character and image of God. Um, you don't even have to put words to it. Um, because actually the only one that really counts here is what God sees. Um, and so in all these spheres that we work, your work, your vocation, your calling, as you step into it, God has already said it reflects the character and image of God. And then third of all, I want to share an opportunity, and this is probably the one we have to work at the hardest. When all those trials come and the difficulties and the toil of work and the mundane, um, all the stuff out there that just hits us when we go into those places, um, they can either be a barrier, right, or they can be an opportunity. And I would just like to propose that God has actually left us in those places as an opportunity. Every single barrier that you hit, every difficulty in your vocation is an opportunity to turn your gaze back like we just like we're going to sing later, to turn your gaze and go, God, walk me through this. Walk me through this. Um, think about how many difficulties you have in a day, from the little tiny ones, the frustrations, the really small things, to maybe a monumental one. Um, if in every one of those times we use it as an invitation to say, God, Shape me in this. Let me see you in this. Um, help me reflect you in this place. Um, rather than, ah, I knew this day was going to go like this. It's just, you know, it's, I take the computer, I'm going to throw it down. Rather than going, God, show me what you got. What do you want to do in me in this? Then work actually becomes a conduit for life every day because there's probably more opportunities to do that than all the good things sometimes for us. Um, and so I believe that God's left us in there because he knows we, our minds just wander off. And we're just not thinking about him. And all of a sudden, it comes around Saturday evening or Sunday, like, oh, yeah, the Lord again. That's right. And he wants us all through the day and all our moments to be thinking of him. So every time one of those things come along, use it as an invitation to turn your heart and gaze upon him again. By the way, if you do that, I mean, believe me, um, and we will fail to do that. So we've got to work at this one. Um, 
But it, man, imagine doing that 10, 12, 15, 20 times a day, and in those big moments, stepping into that day by day by day by day. It shapes our mind. We think differently. So then we see God at, at work in our midst. So use those difficulties, trials, disappointments as an invitation to be called afresh, to turn your gaze on him, to fix your eyes on what is true. Think of James 1. These trials are for, for us. They're opportunities. They're invitations. They're a gift. Um, if you've read the presence of God, Brother Lawrence, think him. So in all those moments when things aren't like we like them to be, use it as a chance to turn your heart over to him again and again and again and again. So he shapes our mind while working. Second side, he shapes our minds and um, transforms our minds while not working. And that's the second one, the second opportunity. We've, we've talked about this over and over again here at the church, but um, because it's the one I talk about the most and get the least, we'll talk about it again. Um, we, we are shaped and transformed in our thinking while not working. So Deuteronomy says that God ceased from all of his labor and he was refreshed. God ceased from his labor and was refreshed. Before sin even came, God stopped working. So the, the whole stopping and resting didn't come later when we were worn out. It came in the, in the garden, in, those, in that first, the first cycle that God did of those seven days. Um, as God worked day by day by day, and on the seventh day, it says he stopped. He stopped working, and he was refreshed in it. It's part of the established pattern that God put into place in the beginning. And the, great, and the thing is, it's still a part of the pattern that he wants to use in us to shape our minds. We're called to imitate God by our work, but we're also called to imitate God by our resting or our stopping work. Interesting, I, I think I read this, this little quote when we did a, a thing about work a number of years ago. Um, but Eugene Peterson notes that if you read through the Genesis, it talks about at the end of each day, it says there was evening and there was morning. What does it say? The first day. And it says there was evening and morning the second day. So in God's economy, when does the day start? It starts in the evening. Evening and morning. It's an interesting pattern. It says it over and over again. It starts evening and in morning. What do we do in the evening? We quit, don't we? Well, we've got kids at home, never mind. But at some point, there's a, there's a point somewhere along that clock when you stop. And actually, we, we stop so thorough, we go unconscious. We actually go to sleep, right? So we're not doing anything um, at all. And God, God's plan, that's, that's where it begins. He starts this pattern. He, this is what um, he says. We go to sleep. This is what Eugene Peterson says about this. We go to sleep, and God begins his work. As we sleep, he develops his covenant. We wake, and we are called out to participate in God's creative action. We respond in faith, in work, but always grace is previous. We wake into a world we didn't make and into a salvation that we did not earn. Evening, God begins without our help, his creative day. Morning, God calls us to enjoy and share and develop the work he initiates. I love that picture. That as God begins things, we're not doing anything. And God goes before, and then he says, wake up, and he invites us into it. And that's where our day begins. Interesting, so our pattern is rest, and then work, and then rest. Or stopping, and then work, and then stopping. We think work is primary. The truth is, rest is primary. Sabbath is primary. The stopping is primary. Failure to establish this pattern, and I will tell you by faithful experience, <laughs> will steal away from our minds and our hearts the redemptive work he's done in us. won't remove it, but we will not experience redeemed moments. 
if we don't establish that pattern. We just we can't. God made us to function that way. And as redeemed people, we have to imitate his pattern of this stopping. And we actually stop. We let God and we pay attention to him. We let him work. And then he invites us into these moments. And then he tells us to stop again. And God himself did it and he invites us to it. And if we don't somewhere along begin to figure it out, um, it just steals away experiencing the sanctification of our moments. It really does. Um, it becomes very, very difficult to walk through. Rest is essential in not work. We experience redeemed work and sanctification of the ordinary in our day-to-day when we follow God's patterns, which then reshape our minds. And how often do we do that pattern? When God had a Sabbath day with a work week, which is the, the bigger picture of it, he even had a bigger picture of a seven-year pattern with a, a year of rest in there. But there's also a daily pattern of wake and rest, evening and morning. Um, I think we can even get down to smaller patterns of stopping and resting and working in our day. We have an, an abundance, ongoing, never-ending opportunity to practice that pattern over and over again. Every single day we can practice it. And he does it that way because it takes time over and over again practicing that pattern again and again and again and again that our minds begin to get reshaped. We actually start seeing the way God sees. And we actually start experiencing our moments the way God wants us to experience them. Most of us have trouble with which part? I'm not sure of you, but for me it's the stopping part. It's the stopping part. Or when I stop, something else is still going in me, but actually stopping. And what does the stopping accomplish? Let me just read this. this is from Marva Dawn in Keeping the Sabbath Holy. I've read this, this before, but um, it, it just words it so well. What does the stopping accomplish in us? Sabbath ceasing or stopping means to cease not only from work itself, but also from the need to accomplish and be productive, from the worry and tension that accompany our mo- modern criterion of efficiency, from our efforts to be in control of our lives as if we were God, from our possessiveness and our enculturation, and finally, from the humdrum and meaningless that result when life is pursued without the Lord at the center of it all. Let me read that again. Sabbath ceasing means to cease not only from work itself, but also from the need to accomplish and be productive, from the worry and tension that accompany our modern criteria of efficiency, from our efforts to be in control of our lives as if we were God, and from our possessiveness and our enculturation, and finally from the humdrum and meaningless, which is what we talked about in the beginning, that results when life is pursued without the Lord at the center of it all. Stopping reminds us that he is the strength of our life and our portion of forever. Not working is one of those ways he shapes our mind. It transforms and shapes our minds, and the ordinary moments get filled up with the work and the presence of God. Um, so we get transformed in the working as we use it as an opportunity to turn to him over and over again in difficulties. And we have an opportunity to have our minds shaped in the not working and finding that place and where that's going to be. So what has God put out before you at this time? Your vocation. All, and we have, most of us have multiple vocations because it's a pretty wide word. What has he called you into? Truth is that he's redeemed you and he's redeemed your calling and he has infused it with his presence and value. So be mindful of him in those moments. 
Um, I, I hope that in the last three weeks you've been encouraged that what you apply yourself to is actually filled with God's work in it. It's just filled with it. We just have failed to see it, and the world has stolen it from us. So step into it. Be mindful of him in those moments. And also think, what is stopping going to look like? Um, so that's probably a good question, and you've got to have an answer for it, because if we don't have an answer for it, we never stop. Even if we are lazy and doing nothing, we're really not stopping, because we aren't really getting what it's about. Um, whether that means that cup of coffee you steal somewhere in this 15-minute moment in your day that's regular, whether it's um, swimming in a pool in the early morning and it's, that's a stopping, perhaps. Um, whether it's at night, it's, your last, it's the only time you get it is when everything stops in the day, it's night and finding that space. Um, it may be sneaking away now and then. Uh, maybe, like I've suggested before, just getting to work a little bit early and sitting in your car because nobody bothers people in cars. Just sit in your car and stop. Um, I think it means days. We've got to find blocks of time where we actually s- just cease from it. It means getting a good night's rest sometimes. Um, where is that going to look like in your life? And, and when you take those stopping moments, say, God, just meet me in this stopping moment. It's five minutes. God, meet me here. I'm not going to do anything right now. I'm just going to be with you. And let him shape your mind over the time. Uh, the last verse, I'll put it up here on the screen, Colossians 3. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, for you are serving the Lord Christ. Val, you guys can work your way back up front here for our time of worship. As we sing, the uh, communion table here and in the back are open, and if you know the Lord, you can participate. This reminds us again and again of his work that he did. And what's great is Jesus finished his work on our behalf, so we don't have to do it. We don't have to earn our salvation. And it says that he sat down, he rested at the end of it, as work at the right hand of God. The, the great truth is God finished his work, and now he calls us to rest in his finished work. And this should be a reminder when we pick it up, saying, thank you that you did it. This is not a work I have to do. Now sh- show that in the rest of my life as well. Be the strength of my life in all the places I go. So let's pray over this, and then we're going to sing. We'll participate together uh, as we give him thanks. Lord, thank you for finishing your work. I thank you that although we are not in the garden anymore and um, our vocations are met with a lot of things that are very, very difficult sometimes, um, thank you that the work of the cross changed us. You brought redemption, and the redemption has spilled out to our very moments and their vocations. So change our thinking about that, Lord. Change our minds. Help us to see you in the midst of that place. We thank you for accomplishing your work and for your commitment to us. We thank you for giving your, your body, for giving your blood on our behalf. And even as we take tonight, Lord, we want to honor you. We want to put our attention and our eyes on you. We want to lift you up and give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.